Hey, this is Pastor Joaquin G. Molina from Spring of Life Fellowship, and I want to welcome you to our podcast. I hope you're encouraged with this message and you stay the course to change the world. God bless you. Father, thank you for this day that you have made for us to rejoice and be glad. Thank you once again that we find ourselves in the house of God, in your sanctuary, in your temple, gathered with your people, gathered with those who have a heart for you, the desire to praise and worship and celebrate and honor the day of the Lord. We pray, Father God, that as we keep company with the wise, we become wiser and we grow into the purpose of God and to the significance of why we were created and the understanding of who we are and why we're here. Father, we pray that you bless the man of God with the word of God that you've given his heart and that we might welcome it into our hearts, into our lives, to serve as a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path, that we make wise decisions, that we prioritize our time, seeking first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, that we shall be blessed, our home, our houses, our children, our family and possessions after us, Lord. We pray that we not be moved, that we not leave the place where you have for us, so that we might see your mercies fulfilled, your goodness provided, your prayers answered, your dreams come true, Lord. We pray, Father God, that you give us perseverance, that we might withstand everything that comes against us, that when the enemy comes in like a flood, you raise up a standard against them and say that we belong to you. The banner that you hold over us is your love. You have professed it. You will keep it in your purposes. We pray that your word would be a good seed planted in good hearts that would give forth good fruit for your glory, Lord. Thank you for the gift of eternal life and everything that is consistent with your promises and salvation. We pray that you open the eyes of our understanding and that we might see you and align our purposes with your purposes so that we might see your glory fill the earth like the waters cover the sea, Lord. Remove from this place every hindrance, distraction. Father God, everything that removes us from receiving your word, that you surround us with a hedge of thorns, Cover us with the blood of Jesus and keep us safe from this day forward. We glorify your name and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So as we read the scriptures, it's not long before there is a understanding and an expression of a God who holds us accountable. And a lot of people live without accountability. Uh, They live without being responsible for their decisions and their actions But I see through the scriptures, this thing we don't like is that God is a God who opens up the books. He's always going back to find out what's taking place and what he's written compared to what we're doing. And it's something that God holds in high regard. You can't read through the Bible and not see the aspect of how God runs his creation, his universe. He doesn't let things just go on without accountability without inspection he sees man and he sees man's ways this is something that that happened to me in 1984 when i asked jesus christ to come into my life from that point forward from 1984 the day i asked christ to come into my life there has been an overwhelming sense of his presence looking into all my affairs Lord, uh, come into my life and save me and bring me to your purposes. And so God, uh, it was funny, 
um, because Paul Lodato is a friend of mine, and every time I tell him about what God is doing, he starts laughing. He has a real quirky laugh. <laughs> God's in the Kool-Aid. And what's he trying to say? God's in the Kool-Aid. He's in the mix. He knows what, he knows what your life is all about, and he's, he's, he's really attentive to it um, continually. And that's been my life since 1984, since I was 16 years old. You see 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, God is constantly holding me accountable to the way he does things, to, to how he wants me to move. And so we see this from day one. The Lord sees man's ways and his actions. And, and we see this because he approaches Adam in the garden and, and he calls out to him and he says, Adam, where are you? Now, God knew where Adam was. He's just trying to say, listen, have you understood? Let's go ahead and read that real quick. In uh, Genesis 3, after he makes man, he puts him in the garden, gives him his assignment, uh, brings the woman to him. Everything is set there. The Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? So God is not a God who abandons or is, is, is distanced himself from that which he oversees. The powerful word, the oversight of God. Uh, a God who's constantly holding us account. And so if you ever come to Christ, and that's why a lot of people might not want to come to Christ, because he's not only going to come into your life, he's going to hold you accountable to his standard and to his ways and, the, and how he stretches us to a level uh, we said it some weeks ago that his measure for our lives is perfection. He wants us to be perfect like he's perfect. In other words, stay the course of who I called you to be. And then he comes and he measures that. And he's attentive to that. And hopefully by the time we finish this morning, you're going to have a different disposition to life. But in the garden, he's telling Adam, where are you? And basically, he's going to tell them, what are you doing? And what have you said? And who said something to you? And why are you wearing those funny little leaves around your private parts? What is this new garb that you have? And God is holding him <clears throat> to his own fashion, to his own words, to who's speaking to him, who's coming in his life, who allows him to disrupt his, his order and, and the sense of what God is doing. And so we see this here in the beginning of the Bible, and then we see the story of the pro parable of the prodigal son, where he says to him that having been born in a house, he took his possessions and went to a faraway land. I want to suggest that I have an idea why he distanced himself from the father's house. How many want to guess? He didn't want his father's accountability. He didn't want his father to be in his Kool-Aid, in his mix. And it makes for a real contrary way for us to live when we're not being held accountable. And there's many reasons why people won't come to the house of the Lord. I'm going to suggest that the very first time is I don't want to tell people my problems. I don't want anybody to be involved in my affairs. Well, guess what? You owe it to your creator to live according to the design of his creation. And you're not a person unto yourself. 
You're not a person without rendering an account for what you do, how you do it, when you do it, with who you do it. And we would want to just really destroy all that because that sets a, a graph. Where, you know, it, it sets a, it's, it, it tells a person who you are and what you're doing according to how you hold yourself accountable. One of the things that Paul says in the book of Acts, he says, hey guys, don't you understand that when I started out trying to learn how to be a rabbi and how to be a leader amongst God's people, I sat at the feet of Gamaliel. He talks about a man. And he says Gamaliel was the strictest teacher of the instruction, which he, which he um, a lot of people want to go study online where no one sees and no one knows. But no, if you have to show up to a person like Gamaliel and he inspects the way you walk, the way you talk, the way you address, the way he's going to be in your mix throughout life. He's going to hold you accountable to what is written. And in this case, God, according to his design, like we read this morning, he has written down in the scroll of his books all these things. The prodigal son, the Bible says, he asked his father for all his belongings for his inheritance, um, by the way, you're not supposed to do that. Yeah, because we live in a culture that the children are asking for their parents' inheritance and their parents have not died yet. When you ask your parents for his inheritance while he's still alive, what you're actually doing is saying, I wish you were dead. And so I, I know my parents... Uh, super generous and they're constantly wanting to give away their possessions that they have accumulated over years and I said no it's not the time for you to dispossess yourself of your belongings because you still need them to live and so my dad was being very generous with his belongings he says I'm going to give them away I said no because they belong to take care of mom until she breathes her last all these belongings and all these possessions belong to them during the course of their life and then on the day they are no longer upon the earth, they get to appoint uh, the heirs to their possessions and give out their possessions. But here the prodigal was saying, I wish you were dead. I wish you were not around anymore so you don't meddle in my affairs. And he took his possessions and he left to a faraway land and began uh, prodigal living, which means wasteful living. And when you're not called to accounts, that's what you do. You waste what you have, not answering to no one. So here, the premise this morning is Romans 14, 12, and you should memorize this because it doesn't matter if you pretend you don't have to answer to anybody or no one has to ask you about who, where, why, what, when, how much, how long. So each of us, singular, shall give account not of others, of himself to God. This, this is the premise of God's creation. Each one of us are going to have to answer as to what we do, where we do, why we do, when. And, and a, a lot of people over the years, they come into my office and say, Pastor, I want to talk to you about something. And then they spend like three hours talking about somebody else. Because they, they did this and they did that and they went here and they went there. And I, ah, oh, Señor. And I listen and listen and listen. I go, are you done? No. And another hour and they're talking and talking. And I said, okay, 
Now let's forget about this person that you know perfectly and let's talk about you. And they're like, I didn't call you for that. I didn't make an appointment to talk about me because we don't like to give an account of ourselves and to, to answer for what we do. But, but again, not only did he come back to the garden after he had made man, not only does he tell us about the prodigal son who was called to account with, about his life and about the course of his actions and having to return to the father's house, each one of us, each one of us will give an account of himself to God for the things we have done here upon the earth. The finality of man's life is standing before God. This is how we will end. <laughs> we started out however we started out. I don't know when you woke up. Some people wake up early. Some people, like my uncle, at 99, he gave his heart to the Lord. 99. And that's when he found out that he needed the answer to the creator and give an account for his life. Thank God he repented. He was able to ask Christ to come into his life. He was able to lead him to the Lord. So then each of us shall give an account. Each of us shall give an account of himself to God. I, I pray that over the next couple of weeks and months that this would be a verse that is in the front of your forehead and your thoughts as you live life. Because the truth of the matter is that... Um, he will look into the books and see if it equates, if, if what he deposited is what you've given him, so there's a zero balance. And not wanting or owing or having a negative uh, column there that you owe something that God is expecting because he's going to come back and ask you for it. He goes, I gave you this, and if I gave you this, why are you returning that? If this is what I... Put in course, in your direction, why upon the return is the balance wanting? How come it, it doesn't, it doesn't um, I don't know the appropriate language, but how come it doesn't equal? What, what is it called? Why, why doesn't it balance out? Why, why is there a, a disbalance in, in, the, in the measure of what I'm doing in your life? So, um, we'll continue on to read verses like 2 Corinthians 5.10 that what we do in this world all will finalize with you standing before God giving an account of yourself. You're very generous to care about other people, but, but put yourself up front as the person, and I was talking to somebody this week, and he says, could you believe what this government is doing in, in this making, trying to hold Biden accountable for, for running the United States. And he was going off and the government is doing this and the government. And I said, hey, buddy, your life is a disaster. You, 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 don't, you don't have anything to concern yourself about holding the president of the United States responsible for his government when you can't even run your own home how dare you have an opinion you know and and i i called him to account quit um here paul tells the church in corinthians for we must all there's nobody there that's missing right we must all appear before the judgment seat of christ well what is this judgment seat where is this throne 
And then Paul continues on to say, so that each one may receive the things done while he was in his body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And so this, this cannot be a forgetful existence for us. In other words, when you think no one's watching, then you do whatever you want. When, when you think no, you're not going to have to give an answer to anybody, then you just live however in whatever expression and degree you desire. But if you're going to sit there one day and be before God's throne, and he's going to give you the things that you did while you were in your body, then, then it, makes, it makes for our attention. Uh, I want to touch upon various expressions of these um, this verse I like a lot, Matthew 25, 23. Every Christian wants to hear the words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That means when the books are open, when the records are seen, when the evidence is presented, he's going to say, you know something? After inspecting and accounting for your life and the things I've given you, well done. You are good and faithful as a servant, you have been faithful over a few things. I'll make you a ruler over many things. Enter in to the joy of your Lord. Now, this is not without inspection. This is not without scrutiny to which I know it's super uncomfortable. Um, if, if you're a child in your, uh, in your home, if you're a young person, and you come up to your parents and say, Hey, Dad, could I go to the movie with my friends? And, and he says, well, let's see if you could go to the movie with your friends. Let's go to your room. Oh, oh, wait, 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 wait. Don't come and hold me accountable until I go and fix things. And then everything meets out. And I come and I'm like surprised. I'm like, wow, really impressive. But not before things were put in their place. And, and that's what accounting is. Accounting is making sure the things are in their place. And when they are, you get a good report. Well done. But what happens when the things are not in its rightful place? As we read there in Matthew 25, this is the account of the talents and the parables. Everyone was given talents, but there was no issue until there was an accounting. And we have no issues until somebody comes to inspect. And then when they inspect, they see whether or not you are praised or how horrible upon inspection and things are out of order and then the words come differently it's not well done good and faithful servant is this other answer verse 26 but the Lord said to the other person you wicked and lazy servant you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered so you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone, verse 29, for to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away and cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So as we understand 
And this is the purpose of today's word. Um, it's a matter of stewardship and accountability that, that we press in to the excellence of a merciful God, not to hide and distance ourselves. I always call it the, the syndrome of the ostrich. The ostrich sees uh, the lion come and he sticks his head in the ground and pretends the lion doesn't exist. You, you can't do that with God. If he's a God who's going to check out accountability in the books, it's time to go and make sure things are in order. Make sure that, that you tell God, God, I want to honor you, and I want at your coming to find the things as you please, not to have a disruptive encounter with pretending everything's okay and then coming out with a lame excuse. Well, I thought you were taking so long and you weren't going to come back and you didn't tell me you're, and, and you're in trouble, buddy. You're in trouble. This fanciful living of no accountability is sad and it's overtaken Christianity. It's overtaken uh, many, many churches, people coming and going, people coming and going. They don't give an account for their lives, for their time, for their testimony, for their giving. The, the books are, are horrendous with regards to how I, I've told some of the men, look, God bless you grossly. And when we go to the books to find out how you worship in your giving, it would be embarrassing to see your self-centered, selfish existence cons all consuming of, of, of for you and not according to God's heart. So in that regards, we continue on down this road. Um, here, God is calling this man to account. Why? Because earlier in the chapter, in Matthew 25, um, verse 14, he tells us the kingdom of God is like a man who's traveling to a far country. He calls his servants and delivers his goods to them. God, God is is bestowing upon you things that are precious, that belong to him. He gave to one five talents, to the other two, and to the last one he gave one, each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, the one who had received two talents also multiplied them but he who received one went and dug it into the ground no one's watching he hid the lord's money and a long time the lord of those servants came to do what this is that 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 principle of settling accounts we we don't like that a lot of people say i'm not an accountant no i know you're not an accountant get one get one that's able to to watch how you progressively move in a manner that honors the God you serve. He, he's not a God without accountability. Somebody has created a God that you can just do whatever, whenever, however, and you're free to have. No, wherever there is a relationship, there is an accounting. There is where have you been? Why have you been there? With who were you there? How did you communicate? Was it proper? I was watching a video yesterday of a girl. She drives up and sees her husband having dinner with another woman. It was an ugly scene. She embarrassed the heck out of him, throwing food at him, turning the tables around, making a public spectacle. Why? He was being held accountable to his relationship with his wife. 
Now he's off with another woman, and, and the time of reckoning has come. The time of watching um, a real embarrassing moment for him. And so what does this mean? And, and again, watch this. We would be remiss if people said, oh, great, now he's making me feel more guilty in my conscience. No, I'm telling you that the God who created you fast, fashioned you, and, 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 and did something so marvelous is not going to let you dance around in any direction. You represent him. And so here in Hebrews, we're going to read this verse, which is powerful. It's what I told you I have been feeling since 1984, since I received Christ in my heart. Hebrews 4.13, he says, and not a creature. Hebrews 4.13, there's not one living creature upon. There is no creature hidden from his sight. All things are naked and open to the eyes. You saw God's eyes? God's eye is on the sparrow. Yeah, he's on there. What for? He says, to whom we must give an account. In other words, he's watching because he's going to hold you to toe that line and that level of where you're supposed to be and how you're supposed to be. And I, I know uh, in our Adamic nature of running into the woods and acting like we're not going to be seen, I know that a lot of people think if nobody is looking at it, then I could do whatever I want. If nobody's here to hold me accountable, uh, and that's the devil's play. I remember some years ago, uh, Jules, Pastor Jules was graduating from medical school, and he had been there for about four years. Um, and I had never been down there to see him during his medical school year. So I said, man, he's about to graduate and come back. I got to go see him because that's a great accomplishment that he's finishing medical school. So I made, I was a busy schedule, busy as a pastor, all this stuff. And I went into Santo Domingo and the devil's nice little plot. Guess what? There's nobody here. You're in Santo Domingo. It was the, the sex capital of the world. Nudity, prostitution, illicit relationships, all this stuff. And, and to, to boot, as I jump on the airplane, on the left side, I had a cougar. And on the right side, I had a little, a little girl, a young woman. And so both of them were like attacking the pastor. And so, so this one was like, oh, I'm going to Santo Domingo. I said, well, I'm a pastor. And then she's like, oh, I need your prayers. <laughs> when you introduce yourself being a pastor, the, the, the conversation changes a little bit. Um, and, and so I, I was telling both of them, I'm a pastor and, and I live for the Lord. And the, 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 the question, so when you, when you come out to the light, the demons flee. And so I get to, to Santo Domingo, and the devil's like, man, nobody here knows you're a pastor. This is a, this is a great opportunity. Jules is working at school. You could go out and cheat on your wife. I, I was married to Yvette. You could go. I said, devil, you're a liar. The eyes of God are, are watching everything that happens upon the earth. And, and when you least expect it and you think, wow, my wife is not here uh, nobody's watching. I don't have any friends. I, I'm on a business trip. Guess what? It's going to be shouted from the rooftops. The devil's going to drag you through the coals. And so in that regards, um, his eyes are watching everything. They're naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we're going to have to give an answer. He's, he's going to bring it out and you're going to have to discuss it. You're going to have to uh, um, answer for that scenario. 
And, and so if that can be hard-pressed into our understanding, we start living in such a way that we are a trophy of his grace, of his vessels of his mercy. And um, 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 5, there was the, the, the son of David, who David did not want to talk to him, Adonijah. He exalted himself. He says, I'm going to make myself king. He hid to prepare chariots of horsemen, 50 men to run before him. He exalted himself in a manner like nobody was watching. He was totally out of place. It wasn't consistent with what God wanted before him. But look what it says in verse 6. His father had not called him at any time asking him, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? His father did not want to sadden him. Because when, obviously when you're doing things as you want, not giving an answer, you think you're the greatest that ever lived. But once you're held accountable to responsibility and to God's timing, you cannot act like um, you're, not, you're, you're, you're not being pompous and proud like this young man. His father had never rebuked him at any time. And, and, and this is it. Asking him what you're doing. In that regards, what we see is that there, there's always, and you guys know the stories, whether it would be David and your, with Uriah's wife, right? You know the story. Um, he has intimacy with Bathsheba. He has an illicit marital affair. And, and who's watching the whole time? God. And, and God calls Nathan his prophet. And 1 Samuel, um, I think it's, uh, let me get it real quick. In 1 Samuel, he confronts, uh, okay, when Nathan shows up, it's 2 Samuel 12, verse 1. Nathan comes before David right after he had taken Uriah's wife. And Samuel said to all, indeed, I have heeded. This is, let's go to 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel 12, 1. The Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him, and he says, there were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. He's going to come with a parable. In verse 2, he says, and the rich man had many flocks and herds. And God starts sizing you up and giving the description of your unaccountable ways. At this point, I would be throwing myself on the ground asking God for mercy. God, I know you're going to nail me between the eyes. I'm out of place and out of time. I'm out of season. I've reached beyond your goodness in my life. I'm pretending like you don't exist for my life. Verse 3, he says, This exceeding man was great, but a poor man had nothing except one little lamb in which he had brought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and with his children. Uh, it ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in the bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. Verse 4, And a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and his own herd to prepare for the wayfaring man who had come to him, but he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Verse 5. So David's anger. This is what I'm talking about. When you're dealing with other people's accountability, you get in, I can't believe they did that. And then they're like, ah, you're doing it right now. Let's, let's talk about you. He says, and David's anger was aroused and he said to Nathan, as the Lord lived, the man who has done this must surely die. 
And he's, he's talking about himself. He didn't even know it. Verse 6. And he shall restore fourfold the lamb because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Verse 7. Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. Verse 8. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives and your keeping and gave you the house of Israel. And if that had been too little, see, he's, he's, he's accumulating the accounts. He's watching what he's done. I also would have given you much more. There was much more I wanted to bestow upon you. Verse 9. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with a sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. So, so all these things to say that we continue to see a God who's showing up and he wants to address areas of our life that are not panning out according to his design. He did that with David. He did that in 1 Samuel 2.17 with Eli. Imagine he has a high priest and the high priest's sons are messing around. Therefore, the sin of your young men, your sons, was very great before the Lord. He's watching. For men hate to give offerings because your sons were taking the best portions. He says, Eli, you weren't overseeing your house and the ways of your children. Now God is overseeing them and he will mete out his righteous judgment. He will inspect these affairs. We see the same thing in John chapter 8, where the people are bringing a woman to Jesus. In verse 1, Jesus was there early in the morning teaching in the temple, and a crowd gathered around and sat as he was teaching. Verse 3, as he was speaking, the teachers of the Pharisees, the, of the, the religious leaders of the law, brought a woman who was caught in the act of adultery, and they put her in front of the crowd. Verse 4, teacher, they said, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. She's, she was doing something in hiding. It's coming out to the light. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? In verse 6, it says they were trying to trap him into saying something that could be used against him. But he answered. He stood up and again and said, all right, let the, the man who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. And when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until the only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. And he stood up again and said, Woman, where are your accusers? Don't even one of them condemn you? In verse 11, she says, No, Lord. And Jesus says, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. Go and, and address these matters in a manner in which you're not going to be destroyed for not knowing that what you were doing would come out to the light and you would be exposed. And so we see all these things in the uh, parable of the prodigal son. We see it in the, the parable of the talents. And so years ago, um, because of God's mercy and knowing who he is, uh, he's not inclined to do us harm, the Bible says. That, that if he's talking to us about making sure we declare accounts, is that you can show up before him like David does in Psalm 26, verse 2, and he says, Lord, since you're a God who opens up the books, 
examine my books. You, you don't hide from God. You don't run away. You don't distance yourself. You actually call to the Lord and say, Lord, this is the mess that I've done. Examine me. And I love to say this from my head, my heart, my feet. I'm an open book for you to prove me, to, to bring me to the place I need to be. Because I don't, I don't think that God takes pleasure in moving contrary to us. What he did on the cross of Calvary was to fix accounts. That's what testelastia, it is finished, is a accounting. If you're a bookkeeper, the last stamp that was placed on the books under the Roman law was testelastai, which is, it's, it's finished. Everything is, is, is balanced out. I've, I've put whatever the loss was, the deficit, I've made up for it, and now the books are in order. How many want to glorify God because of that? He wants you to pray, examine my life, put things in order with my wife, with my children, with my family, with my finances, with my faith, in the house of God. The books are going to be opened at the throne room of God, and he's going to judge people out of the things written in his books. And um, we played golf yesterday with my sons, and I'll tell you, since I started playing golf and realized I would never be a champion, I wouldn't be a tiger or a wood. And so I don't keep score when I play golf because I, I leave depressed. So, so every time I take Yvette to play golf with me, she says, I'm not going with you because you always want me to cook the books. You want me to put three when it was six and two when it was 17. And I told her, I just don't keep no record of wrongs. I have so much love when I play golf. You know, the Bible says uh, love does not keep records of wrong. But the truth of the matter is we must be righteous and not forgetful that our God is going to open the books and there your name and everything about you is written, and he wants to make sure that you get celebration. Here, Psalm 26, verse 3, he acknowledges your loving eyes are watching me so that I walk in your truth. Your lovingness is before my eyes, and I have walked in your truth. Verse 4, I do not sit with twisted people. If you get around people that think they don't give an account for who they are, where they go, what they do, who they company with, um, you're going to end up having an expression that's not consistent with who you are and what God has planned. So he would say in verse 5, I hate this gathering of evildoers. I hate when people... If you, if you turn around and you look at yourself hanging out with people that belong nowhere that have no fellowship, that have no body of Christ, no family in Christ, and, and they're just all a bunch of free birds, free thinkers. You know, everything goes, anything goes. I don't have to answer to nobody. I don't have to tell nobody. You're in the wrong company. You're in the wrong company. Uh, one man that was coming to this church years ago, he said, I feel so uncomfortable in church. Every time I come, the people ask me, where have I been? And I go, yeah, because they care about you, number one. But number two, why don't you go to a church that's a dead church that they don't care if you've been or not been? If you're going to be in a, a real, lively, living church assembly, people are going to want to know not only where you've been, but what you're doing. 
who you're doing it with. How is it that you, uh, you know, navigate and, and uh, are, what's that called when you're, you're, you're led to have a fellowship not consistent with who you are? I refuse to sit with the wicked. I can't stand to be in a place where people, David is saying, are, are gathered together doing things that God despises. How, how is that my fellowship? I'd rather, verse 6, wash my hands in innocence and I will go near your altar. Verse 7, that I might proclaim with the voice of thanksgiving and declare all your wonders. Verse 8, O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Do not sweep my soul away, verse 9, with sinners, nor sweep away my life with men who shed blood. Verse 10, in whose hand is a wicked scheme and whose right hand is full of bribes. Verse 11, but as for me, I shall walk in transparency, integrity. Redeem me and be merciful to me, gracious to me. My foot stands on a even, even plane, a level place where in the congregation, as, as I gather with your people, that's going to be placed in my fellowship, my accountability, the one I answer for my time, my talents, my treasure. Uh, I, I want to say something and go on the record because I think that we are, we are probably missing the mark in this respect. There is a time coming soon, according to the book of Revelations, there's going to be three trumpets, there's going to be three bowls and three seals. I mean, I'm sorry, not three. There's going to be three types of things, but there are going to be seven of each. There's going to be seven trumpets, seven bowls, and seven seals that are going to be opened up and befall upon the earth. And the world thinks that it could be doing everything that we see the world is doing without accountability. And God is coming to judge the earth. And, and we do well in reading the book of Revelations and getting to know that, that soon famine is going to hit the earth hard and there's going to be plagues that are going to hit the earth hard and they're going to come after the ungodly they're going to come to to tell the ungodly you are answerable to the god of heaven you can't be upon the earth and act like you could do anything and there's not going to be responsibility that's not reality that the devil led you in the wrong direction if you can feel upon the earth um, and we said it this week, this rapper that came out, um, his name is Farruko. He, he wrote a song called La Pepa or something like that. It was about a pill. Uh, and a lot of pe young people are dying because they were getting into doing drugs. And in his loneliness and in his private place, his, it came to the conscience that he was responsible for being the person that's inciting all these deaths by overdose. And that's when he repents and becomes a Christian and asks for forgiveness publicly. This just happened within the last year. He stands at a concert and he tells people, I'm never going to sing these songs again. I want to apologize. I want to repent. And I've given my heart to the Lord. And people are like, we didn't pay to come and hear you say that. He goes, I don't care. I know I'm going to have to give an account to God. And this is a worldly person. So we must press into that. I don't know how this word applies to your life. It's, it's not a word to scare you. Or like somebody says, Joaquin, you scare the hell out of me. Well, that's the case. 
um, I want you to be filled with heaven in you and get hell out of you and quit conniving. You know, it, it seems to be the more older we get, the more sophisticated we get, not answering and giving accounts for what we do, how we do, where we go, and what, where, where we come from. Uh, one of the men that was coming here years ago, he came to the men's group one night, and he took one of the men out to Hooters. And he stayed all night at Hooters with this one man, and the man didn't go home to his wife. And so when he found out, oh, no, the bishop found out that I took somebody to Hooters, he came to my office to apologize. He said, oh, you don't know how bad I feel. I took that man from the men's group to Hooters all night, and he didn't go home to his wife, and I feel horrible. And I said, look, you don't have a problem because you didn't take one of my sons. Because if you would have taken Nick, Josh, or Brandon, I'll kill you. But guess what? He's not my son. He's God's son. So now you're in trouble with God. You have to answer to God for what you're doing, when you do it, how you do it, where you do it. The, the biggest curse, and I, I've said this in the last year over 10 times, the biggest curse that parents give their children is no accountability. That they could do whatever they want, however they want, as much as they want, and they never are spanked or disciplined or corrected. And when you do that to your children, you raise up monsters like Ted Bundy and Jeffrey Dahmer. They do all the bad and never have conscience that they will have to answer for the expressions that they're doing. So I believe God has been faithful today in the house of the Lord. Let's stand right now. Yes. The seven trumpets, the seven seals, the seven bowls of the wrath of God are going to be dispensed upon the earth as a manner of accountability. People do not freak out that Fort Myers got erased from the face of the earth. For years, I said like this, and this is, this is true. Wherever you have a community of people that are inwardly enjoying life without addressing what God has called us to address, God will not tolerate it. He will... He will just deface it from the face of the earth in one instance. What's that mean, Pastor? That God is going about the earth, his eyes wanting to help those he could show his powerful strong, but he also is a consuming fire to judge the attitudes of men that are upon the earth saying, I, I was in Puerto Rico now, and we went to one sector, it's called Fajardo, it's one of the, the, the cities, um, the townships, and you look over Fajardo, they have the incredible conquistador. It's a, a five-star resort hotel. And then down at the marina, you have multi-million dollar yachts. And there's not one of them. There might be 5,000. And God is not going to see men. He's not going to tolerate men without accountability. That he prosper you, that he bless you, that he multiply you, and you turn around in selfishness not to address the needs of this world. God's not going to tolerate that. He wants you that if you've been given much, that you are going to answer for much. And if, if whatever little bit he's given you, you say, well, I have such little amount that God really doesn't care. Guess what? He does care. Because to the one he gave one talent, he came asking him 
that little bit that I gave you, he didn't care he gave two to the other one, twice as much, or five to the other one. He went to the one who had the least, and he required of him, and he judged him on the spot. You wicked and you lazy servant. And then he dispenses himself in the outer of darkness. So there's so many people upon the earth that, and I, I believe that uh, part of our responsibility as leaders in the body of Christ is, is calling people to account. In fact, I think it says that, like that in Hebrews 13, 17. He says, and listen to those people who govern. What's that mean? Those who rule over you, you that you answer to. That's why we govern. And be submissive, for they watch out for your soul. Why? As those who must give an account. God's going to ask me why I didn't put you in your place and, and have you answer to what he's doing in your life. Let them watch over you with joy, not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. It's not going to go well in that regards. So we, the leaders, the people you guys celebrate in pastor appreciation, also are held to give an account for your souls uh, before God. So, so make it easy on us because it's not, it's not easy having to tell a person, man, you're smoking crack rock. You're twisted. How, why do you think the way you think? It's totally not consistent with the goodness of God in your life. So, Father, thank you for this day. Thank you that... We can acknowledge that you are a God who creates wonderful things. You put Adam in an incredible paradise, but you came to make account for him, Lord, and ask him what's up and what's going on and how's it going on and why have you deviated and why have you fallen short? So, Father, pray. we pray today that we would be a people not held in condemnation, but that we not forego the accountability of the one who's going to ask us for all things here upon the earth. Our time, our talents, our treasure, our relationships. The days of the week that we hold dear and worship. We pray, Father God, that all these things will be in a great testelestai. It is finished. The books are, are balanced. There's zero debt owed in the account. The books are not diminished. They're not played with. They're not fixed. Make it a genuine reality in our lives according to your promise that he who began a good work in us will finish it before the day of his coming. And that we not have a great expectation of wrath and judgment, but of peace and redemption and forgiveness, Lord. We pray this thing in the name of Jesus and all the people of God say, amen, amen, and amen.